if the worst case scenario did happen, what's your contingency plan? What could you do to get things back on track? Clients on Demand teaches coaches, consultants, thought leaders, and professional service providers how to attract the right clients at the right price anytime they want. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a sustainable seven or eight figure business that changes the world and gets results for your clients without sacrificing your freedom? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. All right, guys, it is Russ. And joining me today is the amazing, the brilliant Mr. Mark Von Muser, our director of sales at Clients on Demand. And today we're going to be talking about something that we cover all the time with our clients, and that is how to master your fear. And the reason that this is so important is that anytime you try to do anything that's outside your comfort zone, whether that's, again, ask that girl out, start that business, ask for that sale, make that sales call, whatever it is, you are probably going to be scared out of your mind. So if there's one thing that I think separates entrepreneurs and business owners and coaches who become ultra successful from the ones that struggle, it's the ones who become ultra successful have figured out strategies for how to deal with fear. Now, look, I don't care if you're a mindset coach or a life coach or you're someone that deals with fear all the time. I've seen people that have all the intellectual knowledge in the world about how to overcome fear get paralyzed by it nevertheless. So we're going to give you some actionable strategies today that we use to deal with that fear and overcome it. So I'm going to share my favorite, my personally, my favorite process. And Mark's going to share his favorite process for overcoming fear. And you should definitely get something valuable out of this talk. So Mark, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm excited about this, man. This topic, it's such a small word, but such a powerful word as it paralyzes most people because they do not have a strategy and they don't know how to get around it. And so people have these huge dreams, these huge wants, and they go to their grave with them. So today we're going to unpack it. I'm really excited about it. It's a very important topic. You know, I was thinking about that movie, Defending Your Life with Albert Brooks. You ever see that movie? It's like an 80s movie. Uh-huh. It's like him and Meryl Streep. Yep. Anyway, it's about this guy and he dies and then he goes to this place called Judgment City where what they do is they basically look at snippets from your life and then uh, have a little trial to see whether or not you deserve to move forward and become you know, a citizen of the universe or whatever it is, or you have to go back to earth and you still have lessons to learn. And what's very interesting about that movie is that they say that the biggest thing, the biggest challenge that human beings on earth have to deal with is overcoming fear. That pretty much everything in your life is just about dealing with fear. And that fear response that we have, guys, it's there for a very important reason. It's because back in the day, people were in physical danger all the time from other people, from animals, from predators, from all kinds of stuff. And so our body developed this entire cascade of responses to enable us to deal with fear. We get tunnel vision, so we're focused on what's right in front of us. You get that adrenaline surge into your muscles so that you're stronger and you're faster, you can react more quickly. You get this all, all of these physical responses that are designed to help you deal with an immediate physical threat. And if you've ever been in a situation like a fight or something like that, when you're in an immediate physical threat, thank God for that adrenaline because it can actually really help you come out on top in situations like that. The problem is, our brains are not very good at distinguishing between real threats that are right in front of us and imaginary threats that are only in our minds. And so as we begin to do things that are outside our comfort zone, we begin to really stretch ourselves. We start that business. We take those first steps. We switch on our advertising for the first time. We're now, you know, we're spending money on ads and we don't know if anything's going to come back. We still have those same physical responses that we would have if it was a saber-toothed tiger right outside of our door. 
And so part of that fear response is fight, flight, or freeze. So we get the adrenaline stuff that we need to fight if that's what's gonna happen. We get the adrenaline stuff that we need to run away if that's what needs to happen. But our first and most immediate response to fear is usually to freeze. And if you've ever been hiking in the woods and suddenly you hear, you hear that rattlesnake or you hear you know twigs crunching and you think there might be a bear there, you freeze. It's instant, it's automatic. You just freeze dead in place. And this is actually something that uh, was recognized in Greek mythology because when you think about the, the story of Medusa, well, what happens when Medusa looks at people, right? She's the embodiment of fear. What happens when she looks at people is they turn to stone. They freeze. And that's exactly what that fear response can do to you if you don't know how to deal with it. So if you're operating outside your comfort zone, I want you to understand that fear is always going to be there. It's gonna come up, and the moment you try to do something else, it's gonna come up more, and the moment you try to do something else, it's gonna come up more. So whether or not you feel the fear is inevitable. It's gonna happen to you no matter what, right? In fact, if you're not feeling any fear at all throughout your day, it's probably a good indication that you're not pushing yourself very hard. You're stuck in a routine, you're doing the same thing all the time, you're not pushing yourself, you're not setting big goals, and you're operating totally within your comfort zone where everything is nice and cozy. But the moment you decide to venture outside of that, you are going to be afraid. And so the only question is, are you gonna let that fear paralyze you or are you gonna use some strategies to deal with it? And that's what we wanna give you today. Yeah, it's fear is such a paralyzer, Russ. I remember seeing a study that showed 98% of what we were afraid of never really happens. But to your point, that doesn't stop people from being paralyzed. Now, they're paralyzed for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're not familiar with it. They don't know the benefits of fear, and they don't know have a process on handling it and processing it. Um, fear can serve you in a very big way. It's kind of like you're walking out on the on the trail, and all of a sudden you see a nice little grizzly cub. Oh, look how cute. Let me go cuddle it. Anybody that doesn't do that is probably part of the Darwin Awards and they're not here. Fear is what keeps us alive. But to your point, it keeps you in your comfort zone, which is a form of a prison. And if you don't have a strategy and you don't know how to interpret it and use it to your power and your benefit, you'll never get where you want to go. And there was another point I want you to, to get guys too, is fear is something you will learn how to handle. But Every step is going to have a new level of fear. I remember Russ watching Ted Turner, the Turner broadcast TNT, original owner of the Hawks, you know, things like that. Super mega billionaire. And I remember seeing him on Donahue. It goes that far back. And um, it was Monday, a Monday show. And Ted Turner's like Donahue's trying to get him in a trap going, well, Ted, you need to come up with a billion and a half dollars by Thursday or you lose your entire empire. Are you scared? And to watch Ted Turner with his legs crossed, his arms crossed, he goes, no, I'll figure it out. Oh, he had to come up with a billion and a half dollars, had no strategy at the point, but the fear had no effect on him because he had handled it so many times and he was able to hand billion dollar weekly problems and challenges. Sure enough, he figured out he could sell off all of the old movies and whatever created a billion dollars and kept his, his fortune. So, but I remember taking it, watching a guy handle billion dollar problems and think about the fear that would have been in place if it fell apart, everything he'd worked for his entire life. So there is a strategy, there are ways to handle it, and you can become very powerful when you do. You know, it's interesting, man, because most of the techniques that revolve around dealing with fear, you know, people practice things like meditating, they practice things like affirmation, they practice things yep. like uh, affirmative Tapping. prayer, you know, for me, it's gratitude. That's the, that's, that's the, me that's too. the key thing that I do every single day. Hi, Jack. My cat just jumped on my chair. Uh, 
That's the thing that I do every single day. But but what's interesting is that there are people that are very good at overcoming fear, or at least not letting fear paralyze them, who don't really do any of those things. So I was watching an interview the other day with Elon Musk, right? And look, man, like you cannot deny how successful that guy is, right? A, he's the richest man in the world. He shot a car up into space. So it's funny, man, because I've been going online and uh, on Twitter and on Reddit and on social media since Elon Musk announced that he was going to buy buy Twitter. You know, you see a lot of people that are just talking smack. I saw a guy the other day being like, oh, yeah, you know, Elon Musk is a moron. And I'm sitting there going like, what? <laughs> like, you know, you could say you don't like him. You could say he's a jerk. You could say this. You could say that. But you cannot call that man stupid. There's right. You just can't. You can't. You can't do that with a straight face. So anyway, I was watching an interview with um Elon Musk and uh, the reporter was asking him, she said, look, you know, you've done all of these incredible things. Uh, how do you, how are you so fearless? And he said, well, you know, I actually, I think, uh, I think that I feel fear more than most people do. I'm a very fearful person. He's like, I'm afraid all the time. And she said, well, okay, well then how are you able to do these things? And he said, fatalism. And I was like, fatalism, that's interesting. And he goes, well, yeah. He's like, look, when I started SpaceX, I figured, look, there's probably a two or 3% chance that this will work and like a 97% chance that it's going to fail. And he said, okay, well, I can live with those odds. He's like, just because something is very unlikely to succeed doesn't mean it's not worth doing. And I was like, man, that's really powerful because this is a guy that's got no illusions that what he is endeavoring to do is going to be easy. And he's got no illusions that what he's endeavoring to do is going to be scary as hell. And he's got no illusions that what he's endeavoring to do is probably going to end in disaster. But he goes out and he does it anyway. He accepts that the odds are stacked against him. And he does it anyway because he believes it's worth doing. And I just thought to myself, man, that is so unbelievably powerful. So that might be a strategy. It's not my strategy. It's not Mark's strategy, but that might be a strategy that you guys want to hijack. If you find yourself that you're just a naturally fatalistic person, you're somebody that doesn't really have a lot of faith that, you know, has trouble doing meditation and affirmations and gratitude and all those sort of spiritual practices for helping you overcome fear. Maybe you just say, look, probably I'm not going to make it. (laughs) Probably I'm going to start this business and it's not going to succeed. But you know what? I believe that I have a mission in life. I believe that that there are people out there that need my help. And it would be worth doing even if it failed. So screw it. I'm going to dive in and I'm going to go for it. And that might be a strategy that works for you. That's similar to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs used to do that too. He said, if you're going to fail, fail big, mm-hmm. fail, fail miserably, but go big. And he was like, he goes, why do what's already been done? And now his investors didn't want him to do that. They wanted him to play safe. He wanted to build something that people talked about that could change the world. It's how he came up with the iPhone. That's how he came up with the, uh, the little, what was the music one that they did? Oh, uh, the iPod. The I, iPod, right. You know day. what I mean? Those those have never been created. And it was like they had failure written all over it. People did not want, in his own company, did not want him to do it. And he was like, why won't we? Let's do what people want to buy and we'll find out and figure out. Just like Henry Ford, where he wanted a single block V8 and his, the top engineers in the world said it's impossible. He said, I know it is, but I want it anyway. Steve Jobs said, do it and we'll find a way. And he was operating outside of his comfort zone constantly, but he got very used to operating out of that comfort zone because in something you're going to talk about, he was able to define the nightmare and the downside. And most people never do that. They allow the fear to grow, get bigger, and they, they broadcast in their mind worst case scenarios. And so that's what they're putting a meaning to it. That's what they're focusing on. There was an interesting study done on excitement and fear or anxiety, and they were people on a roller coaster. 
they were interviewing and they fell into two camps, people that were excited and people that were petrified, afraid they were going to die. When they interviewed them and they looked at the, ver- the ma- heart rates and the, and the brain scans, they were almost identical. The difference between whether someone was excited or scared was the, what they were focusing on on the meaning. Were they afraid they were going to die, a negative outcome? They were in anxiety and fear. If they were in excitement, they were focusing on joy, fun, acceleration. So I'm excited that we're going to define the nightmare and break that down because that alone makes a huge difference as well. Absolutely. And just one other quick thing that I want to say. If you think about Elon Musk and he, people have asked him what really drives him and what drives him is he wants to spread the light of consciousness throughout the solar system. So in other words, he thinks like, look, once every hundred thousand years or million years or however often it is, Earth has a extinction level event, right? Where there's a comment, there's something that threatens to wipe out life on this planet. And it's happened before and he knows it's going to happen again. And so his driving purpose is to get humanity to Mars, to set up a a self-sustaining colony on Mars so that we don't have all of our eggs in one basket, right? Because intelligent life is very rare in the universe as far as we can tell. It'd be a damn shame if it got wiped out on Earth by some stray comet or asteroid or or nuclear war or any of that, anything like that. So he wants to build a self-sustaining colony on Mars. That's what moves him forward. That's what drives him. Same thing with Steve Jobs. He didn't have a vision quite that big, but he wanted to create products that no one had ever used before, products that could change the world. And what those two both have in common is they are obsessed with sacred service. So in other words, their their ambition wasn't necessarily just for themselves. I'm sure they wanted to be successful. They wanted to be rich and they got rich, but they were both primarily motivated by serving the world and serving the market and creating things that people really, really want. And I think that there's a big lesson in that. When I'm focused on myself and I'm focused on what I want and what I want to achieve, what I want to do for myself, I'll work hard, but I'll only work so hard. I'll operate outside my comfort zone, but I'll only go so outside my comfort zone. But for most of us, when we're trying to serve someone else, our clients, our customers, or even bigger than that, if we have a vision for the world of something that we want to do, we will go so much further to make that vision a reality. You know, you might think about those stories about a mom who's, you know, a tiny little 96 pound woman or something like that. And then you hear about these stories where she gets into a car accident on a highway and her baby is trapped in the car. And we see stories of women lifting up cars or like ripping doors off cars with this incredible superhuman strength. They couldn't tap into that power if they were just trying to save themselves. But it's because they have so much love for the people that they're responsible for that enables them to do things that seem magical, that seem supernatural. And so that's why it's so important, guys, as you go through your business and you create your business, that as much as you can, you try to operate from an energy of love, not greed, not desire, not pride, even though that's fine. You want to operate from an energy of love where you're focused every day on how you're contributing to the world and how you're moving the ball forward not just for your own business and your own family, but for all of humanity. If you can tap into that energy, you have so much more power available at your fingertips that's gonna help you overcome that fear. All right, so let me share my favorite, my personal favorite process with you for overcoming fear. I call it define the nightmare. And here's why it's so powerful. What I've found is that when I'm thinking about doing something and that feeling of fear comes up, the feeling is very vague right? It's, it's, it's just kind of, it comes out of nowhere and it's this energy that sits in your body and your heart starts racing and you get that lump in your throat and it freezes you dead in your tracks like we were talking about. 
And as long as you allow that fear to stay vague and nebulous, where I don't even know what the hell I'm afraid of, but I'm afraid of something and it's freezing me. If you allow it to stay there, it has a lot more power. But if you define the nightmare, it loses a lot of its power. So what do I mean by that? Well, when you're afraid of whatever it is, you're thinking about doing something, you're thinking about, let's say, asking that girl out or asking that guy out, and you're thinking about doing this, it's very, and you get that lump in your throat and you're terrified, it's very useful to ask yourself, okay, what is the worst case scenario? And I don't mean ask yourself that in an intellectual way. I mean, get a piece of paper, ask yourself, what is the worst case scenario? What's the worst thing that could happen? And write it down, define it in excruciating detail right? What is everything that would happen if your worst fears came true? And you know what's interesting about this process is that usually it's really not that bad. So when I was 31 and I was thinking about starting my online business, I was a bartender and I had been bartending for 10 years. I was from age 21 to age 31. I was pouring drinks in LA, trying to make it as an actor, and it just was not working out at all. And so I remember on my 30th birthday, guys, I was sitting in the lobby of the Palazzo Hotel with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I was literally crying because my life felt like it was just going nowhere. So when I got back from that trip, I decided to start to dabble in making some money online, doing some affiliate marketing, some promotions, things like that. And I actually found I was actually really good at it. I had a knack for it. I'd never tried anything like that in my life, but I was able to get a little bit of results. I was making maybe $500 a month. And I had this feeling that maybe, just maybe, if I quit my bartending job and I went full-time online, right, burned the bridges, jumped off the cliff and went for it, that I could maybe at least replace my bartending income. But I was terrified. So I did this process that we're talking about. What is the worst case scenario? And I sat down and I wrote it all out. In this case, let's, let's break it down. So I'm bartending in LA. Uh, my mortgage, or not my mortgage, my rent, I think was like $2,200 a month. I had a roommate that I was splitting it with, but I still had to come up with quite a bit of money. And you know, your, your living expenses and, and, and everything else. So worst case scenario would be, I quit my bartending job, I can't make any money online, and I end up broke, and I have to move out of my apartment and, and uh, you know destroy my credit and whatever else, right? So I end up broke, that's the worst case scenario. Okay, fine, so I defined that. But then I asked myself another question, and this is the second part of this process. If the worst case scenario did happen, what's your contingency plan? What could you do to get things back on track? And when I asked myself that question, I realized that even the worst case scenario really wasn't that bad. So let's say I tried to make money online. It totally didn't work out. I wasn't making any money online, or maybe I was only just making the 500 a month I was making now. What could I do? Well, I could live off credit cards for a while because I had pretty good credit. So I figured I could take out a couple credit cards and that would get me through a few months. I could go to my relatives, my parents, whoever I could ask them for a loan, see if they'd be willing to invest in me, willing to invest in my business. And if push came to shove and it really wasn't working out, I could probably go out there and get another bartending job. I didn't know where I was going to get it, but I knew enough other bartenders that I could probably ask around and, and maybe, maybe hopefully find something. And then if you look at that, if I failed, well, I'd basically be right back where I was, wouldn't I? right? Maybe I'd have a little bit more credit card debt. Maybe I'd be in a worse bartending job than I was before, but I'd still be okay. Wouldn't be homeless, wouldn't be on the street. I would survive. So that really wasn't that bad. So then I flipped the script. Now, if I defined the worst case scenario and I figured out, well, what was I going to do if the worst case scenario came true and actually wasn't that bad? 
Now I flipped the script and said, okay, well, what's the best case scenario? Well, the best case scenario is I replaced my income from bartending. That's as big as I could think at the time, guys. I had no idea that this would actually turn into a multi-million dollar company. But I was like thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe I can make $100 a day. And then I wouldn't have to bartend anymore. And that would be $100 a day, pretty much passive income. So I could travel. I could enjoy my life. I could, I could go on little mini vacations. And I just wouldn't have to be behind the bar pouring drinks anymore. And I was like, to me, that would be life-changing. So then I asked myself, the next question is, what are my odds, right? What are my odds if I, what are the odds that I would make it? And what are the odds that I could fail? And in this particular instance, guys, I gave myself 50-50. I thought to myself, well, yeah, it was a 50-50 shot, which might have been overly optimistic in retrospect. But so here's the situation. Here's, this, here's where I ended up after doing this process. I defined my nightmare so I knew exactly what the worst case scenario was. If the worst case scenario happened, I knew what I would do about it. I also defined the best case scenario. And the best case scenario, as it turns out, would have been life-changing. So here I've got an even shot. It's a coin flip, right? Maybe I succeed. Maybe I don't. If I succeed, I change my life. If I don't, it's not that bad. I just have to go get another bartending job. And when I looked at the decision from that angle, regardless of how terrified I was, the right decision was obvious because I had a 50-50 chance. But if I win, I win huge. If I lose, I don't really lose that much. So when you're in a situation where it's even odds, but when you win, you win big. And when you lose, it's not that bad. Always take that bet. And that's exactly what I did. I walked in, I quit my bartending job, and I did not have enough money to make even the next month's rent. But I did it, and I jumped off the cliff. And within that first year after making that decision, I made $250,000. And today, of course, our business is doing a million, $1.5 million a month. So never in my wildest dreams did I think that what this thing has become would, would, would happen. You know, I had no concept that, that that decision would change the course of the rest of my life. But because I used this process, it enabled me to overcome the fear and do it anyway. And I was still scared, scared out of my mind, but I did it anyway. And by the way, the interesting thing is once I made that decision, all of these inner resources switched on that were not there before. All of a sudden, I was waking up at five in the morning, ready to go, grabbing some coffee, working, writing sales copy, writing ads, building a company, making things happen. And I had all this energy that I did not have when I was bartending because now I was the master of my own destiny. Does that make sense? So fear can paralyze you, but it can also, if you put it in perspective and you don't let it paralyze you, it can be a tremendous source of energy where you can take that adrenaline and take that buzz and point it in the right direction and make incredible things happen. So that's defining the nightmare. So think about it for yourself. If there's a situation right now where you're, you, you think you get that inner feeling that you want to do something that could be life-changing, you want to propose to your girlfriend, you want to ask someone out, you want to start that business, whatever it is, that's a good sign that this could be something that could change your life. So take it through that defining the nightmare process. Again, what's the worst case scenario? What am I going to do if the worst case scenario happens so I can minimize the effects of it? What's the best case scenario? And how likely is it? And then you can make a smart decision and you'll feel a lot less fear than you're feeling now. It's interesting, Russ. Even when you're talking about that, I can look at what I do and what I've seen work for other people and it's woven in there, just articulated differently. But it's interesting to see that, you know, even like, you know, you changed your questions, you know, you you get connected, you look at the upside, you look at the downside, you, you know, what are the chances? How could I do it? And your mind will come up with scenarios. It's interesting because once you define the nightmare, usually just by doing that, you can put context around it. It's when you don't define it 
that it grows and it's this big like thing you can't even identify it's out there and it's i don't know what it is but i'm scared and i don't know why once you are willing to look it's very similar to letting go where you feel the emotions when you're looking at a monster or whatever if you see what the monster is immediately it's okay it's big or it's not big it might not be big and you kind of laugh wow that's not that bad but it's when you don't look at it that it grows in your mind and all your worst doubts and your fears now start to make it even bigger and kind of like that movie I, I think you've seen with your kids monsters inc you know what i mean you know how the little kids think about oh my god how bad the monsters are you know and that they fed off that um, but it's interesting once you put a context around it and you have a strategy, you can now look at that same challenging situation and choose how you want to proceed. Absolutely. So tell us about your favorite process. So there's a couple things too, which I was looking at, whether it was in seal training, whether it was, um, martial arts or whatever. I mean, you go up to some guys that are better than you, bigger than you. And it's like, Oh God, I remember very similar, you know, in black belt, first black belt test, you had to go up. It was a two day test and you're a red belt, good and ready for black belt. Takes you about five years of full contact. I mean, it was a hard, old style, hard style. And then you line up against five of the best black belts in the whole system, right? Everybody's there and you're a red belt. Now they have better kicks. They're better. They can whoop you. And you first fight all one-on-one. Then you fight two-on-one. There's two of them against you. Then there's three-on-one. Then there's four-on-one and five-on-one. Now take in mind, they're all better than you. And so going into that, it could be overwhelming. And to your point, when you're doing that, it's like, you know, Grandmaster, you believes I can be here. How can I win? And just knowing that nobody has died yet, putting a context around it, how could I do it? And it raised my game. It didn't mean that fear wasn't present, but it allowed me to look. And there's three different things that I found that really helped me in a very big way. The first thing, which is something they do in, in SEAL teams, they do where they, what is the outcome of the, of the mission? They're very clear on the mission, and this is important. In my case, I call it GDP, goal, dream, or purpose are all three, okay? You mentioned purpose as a big one. Absolutely, you could end the conversation right there. One of the best skills that you can have if you're afraid to do breakthrough calls is focus on the other person. If I focus on their pain and how much they're in, in suffering, it makes it about them and helping them versus, oh, I might do it wrong. The other part of this is that the reason people make it bigger is that it's fear, failure and humiliation or some of the lower energies, they write a story about it that's going to be magnified, okay? So I, I'm the one writing that story, so I have to be careful about what I'm doing. But I've noticed that when you know what the outcome is, I remember we had to do five-mile uh, ocean swims at night, right? That's a long ways in cold water. Now, I don't know if you guys know how many great whites there are. If I was out there doing an ocean swim and I focused on the great whites, which were there, my heart rate would start beating like crazy. So I shifted my focus from the great whites, which I knew were there. And then I would write a story while well, nobody's ever in teams ever been eaten by a great white. And if they're going to eat somebody, I'm only one out of 60 guys. So the chances are one in 60. I did exactly what you're doing, Russ. And then I said, but where I put my focus is how do I get to the front of the pack? How do I finish the swim strong? I kept the focus of the goal. That really muted the fear, okay? If I took my focus off the finishing or the outcome or building a business, the fear was all I had left. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's the first thing I do is I get connected to the goal. That's like the mom whose daughter's in the car or a firefighter running into a burning building. He's not focusing on himself. He's focusing on saving a life. That's purpose. Now, the second thing you also mentioned this, and I do this too. 
I have intentional power questions. How can I win? What's the downside? What's the upside? Where in my life have I done this before? And I ask better questions, which changes what I'm focusing on. I start to focus. I look at the downside. It's kind of like, hey, there's a grizzly bear there. I'm going to walk the other way. I'm going to keep my eye on him. I'm not going to go up and hug the little you know, cub. I'm going to walk the other way slowly and keep my eyes open and I'm going to get the hell out of here. So I want to know and I ask better questions. So the questions that I ask is how can I win? Where's the upside? Where's the victory? What, what, what am I missing? Just asking those questions keeps me resourceful. The third thing that I do is I also condition it. And this is something I learned in the uh, SEAL team training and a couple of other places, but I condition it. I'd start with a courage journal. It's very similar to a brag book where you write down all of the great things you've done in your life, but a courage journal is a little bit different. It's writing down in your life when you faced fear and you stood up, maybe getting on stage for an audition, maybe um, submitting your work for uh, a a writing contest, maybe standing up to a bully, uh, getting the game-winning hit when it was all on the line in Little League. Any of those times that you faced fear, what happens when you write them down is you realize you do have courage. Courage is the antithesis of fear. And when you have fear, it can call forth courage. But if you don't know where that is and you don't know how many times you've done it, most people are, are impotent when it, in terms of calling that forth. So I found that if I have a list of all the stuff I've done, it, it's different when I now face a new, new part of, of fear because it's like, oh, I've done this before. And that's different. That's like Ted Turner. He had already handled, or Elon Musk, they had already handled so many challenges. This was just the new, new challenge. So they had references that they could come to. And, um, it's funny. You see this in the movies like Mission Impossible or whatever. And then they always go, remember, we're going to have to do the ABC thing to save the day. And that was a, you know, they are calling from a previous mission. That's what you're doing with a courage journal is you're really just kind of looking back at you're doing it. The final piece, which within that, and that's breath work. This surprised me because I was not a big breath work kind of guy, but in buds, one of the things Mark divine, uh, commander Navy seal, he teaches his guys that he does box breathing. So when you're in the middle of cold and you're hyping out and you're literally shivering to a point where you do it, if you can control your breathing four breaths in, hold it for four count, hold for four, out for four, hold for four, in for four, and you're doing box breathing, four count. What it does is it balances the parasympathetic and the sympathetic so that that fight or flight gets brought back down. That allows you to go ahead and still think logically, still think to get the outcome. Because like you said, when you go in fight or flight, it's about survival. You do get an adrenaline rush, but uh, freezing is usually the first response. And then that fight or flight, you need to know under pressure, and this is what they teach in the teams, you have to learn under pressure when bullets are flying, bombs are exploding, people are trying to kill you, how do you stay focused on the mission? And if you've conditioned that, you're going to be very, very powerful. Um, The last thing I would say, Russ, that really helps a lot is get used to being uncomfortable. I didn't realize I was doing this, but I got used to being uncomfortable, whether that was doing cold showers just because they were uncomfortable running in the dark just because it was uncomfortable. I mean, swimming at night, you know, and don't be stupid with it. Don't go out and run in high risk areas. But I'm just saying, even me who grew up doing this, I remember training at night kind of gave me the willies running at four in the morning in the pitch dark. That kind of gave me the willies, but you do it. And pretty soon you're used to it. And so by conditioning it, 
fear is just another thing. It keeps me sharp. It keeps me focused. But using these strategies, which are very similar to yours, they're just titled differently. Uh, it helps you move forward in the face of big, big challenges. I love that, Mark. I love that. That's a fantastic, fantastic strategy for dealing with fear. So guys, listen, if you, if you are thinking about doing some big things in your life and in your business, then we really want to help especially if you're trying to build a coaching business, build a, a business where you you are helping other people, you are using your wisdom and knowledge and expertise to help other people succeed. So if you're thinking about doing that, you're already doing that, but you're not getting the results that you want and you find yourself that you're paralyzed by fear, I can tell you right now, the biggest key to overcoming fear is a strategy that works. So there's a if you're thinking about going on some hike that you've never been on before, you might be wondering to yourself, well, what do I do? I hope this map is good. I hope I don't get lost in the woods. This is pretty treacherous. I'm going to be someplace remote. What's the best thing you can do in that situation? The best thing you can do is get a guide who's walked that path thousands of times and has helped other people walk that path thousands of times. And that's who we are. And that's what we do at Clients On Demand. So if you're thinking about scaling your coaching business to six, seven, or even eight figures, we want to talk to you. Go to clientsondemand.com forward slash talk and book an appointment to speak to us because we'd love to talk to you about how we can work with you to make that happen for you, just like we've happen made it happen for so many other thousands of coaches. Guys, that's going to do it uh, for us on this show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Mark, thanks so much for that brilliant strategy. That was awesome. And we will see you guys on the next show. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. A brand new episode will be released every Wednesday, so be sure to click subscribe. Remember, building an incredible coaching business or professional services company does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped clients from all over the world scale their businesses to six or seven figures while enjoying life and making the world a better place along the way. I'm Russ Rafino, and let's talk soon.